where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, House of Horrors, with formal dining and used brick. This is a Halloween-based episode released on the 30th October 1986. It's going to scare you before Halloween, and then all those kids in 1986, they were terrified, couldn't get to sleep. And it was written by David Angel and directed by James Burroughs. I'm John. And I'm James. And I'm Barry. Barry's back, joining us for another episode to talk about a spooky occasion in Cheers. Barry, we're thrilled to have you here for for a few weeks. Last week was great. We had a good chat. I'm looking forward to this one today. And uh, the cold opening that we start here, there's already, we're already delving into some monsters, but none other than the, the Loch Ness Monster. Good on Nessie. Well, I was going to say, it'd be rude of me not to defer this to our resident uh, Scottish expert, James. I, I mean, by no means. But... Scottish expert. Nurses are resident uh, creature. I think every nation has some kind of lore but behind them and Nessie's Nessie's ours. Nessie's our favourite. I've been to Loch Ness, didn't see her. We all know she's female, obviously. But yeah, she's an elusive beast. That's all you need to know about her, really, because that's all she chooses to reveal. Not elusive enough not to be caught in a newspaper photograph. She just wanted to tease us, Barry. She's quite a smart animal, though, because because she's always setting up things to look like her. Finds some branches, arranges them into like a, a nice shape that looks a little bit like Loch Ness Monster. And then she goes away going, <laughs> that's exactly how she sounds. Facts. Snack on them. I do have a question, James. As a Scottish representative, how come the Loch Ness Monster isn't on the Scottish flag? Because we got unicorns in our coat of arms instead, and I think if we had unicorns and Nessie, you know, we wouldn't be invited to any uh, international meetings. I've got a new theory now, that the, the Loch Ness Monster is a hoax, just to cover up the fact unicorns are real. Do you believe in the Loch Ness Monster, Barry? No, I think it's... it's years ago, when I was a kid, I would have had a... a I had a real soft spot for all things supernatural or mysteries but now when everyone's got a camera on their phone and you can catch videos of dogs doing the cha-cha i think someone might have caught it by now tell you what nessie doing the cha-cha that would be (laughs) quite something that would make me a believer nessie wouldn't do the cha-cha she'd do a proper scottish dance like you know can-can yes the can-can that (laughs) well-known scottish dance well, that is the hot topic. Well, not your Scottish dancing. Loch Ness Monster is the hot topic in Cheers in the Cold Open. And uh, Woody is arranging a trip. They were doing fishing last week, really ramped it up a bit to become uh, monster hunters. Woody gets confused by, is it Fraser who suggests, or is it Cliff that suggests that the uh, Loch Ness would be put into a museum and prodded and poked? Woody gets excited by the idea that the Loch Ness Monster is in a museum and wants to go visit it. No one's really interested, especially Norm, until he hears uh, that Woody's going to start packing some sandwiches. Road trip with Woody, some sandwiches? Lovely. (laughs) I don't think it's the sandwiches. I think it's Woody's continuation that makes Norm just give in because he doesn't have the heart to break it to him. He's a very endearing man, is Woody. And I think sometimes he knows that he's talking nonsense, but just plays into that almost Twainian archetype. And he knows that people will just, you know, humour him. Yeah. As we move into the main episode, I think the first thing we find out is Carla's looking for a house. Yeah. Because she's got more kids than she does space. I'll just say before that happens, there's a little bit of Diane and Sam interaction with Sam trying to find a date for the evening and Diane criticising his choice of women. Typical Diane. Yeah, this back and forth is going on still. 
And this time it's Sam who realizes that his date might not be the smartest and tries to find another one. He wants a woman with a brain. It seems that his little black book, he has a particular type in the past, which do not compete with Diane. Yeah, Diane's been kind of quite critical of uh, the people who he's dated in the past. And she deems herself better than than a lot of them. I think he makes Sam quite uh, conscious on his decisions, really. She makes him think twice about things in, in kind of a bad way. Hmm. And it's really none of her business. Yeah. Sam enjoys it. Leave him alone, Diane. Before Diane, before she entered the bar all the way back in the pilot, Sam enjoyed women who, in his words, you know, liked a good time. He wasn't at all concerned with their intelligence or lack thereof. And now Diane's come in and is challenging that. And I think at this point, she's like, Diane, he's not interested in you. Just just leave him alone. It's been a, a strange sort of set of episodes, really, from the start of this season. It seems to be all Sam and Diane or nothing. And certainly the last two episodes, and this one as well, tries to ignore them mostly. Which I think has kind of been uh, potentially a little bit of a good thing. But there are those moments which they, it, it just feel like it's just the same thing that happened last time. One of them has a date and no one to go on it with. And they kind of at the beginning go, who am I going to go on a date with? <laughs> and it's always the same answer. So I'm, I'm guessing we kind of already know how this one's going to end. For, for them at least. It feels like uh, the same setup each episode. Well, thank goodness that this episode is far more interesting than that. Yeah, because it's a spooky one. It's a haunted house episode, which, you know, it would have to be on an episode which aired on Hallow's Eve. We've had a few spooky episodes before. Favourites have been the ones with Andy Andy, particularly, or that episode with with the costumes. But in this one, it was different. And as you said, Carla's looking to buy a house, but everything's so expensive. And then she finds a cheap boy. Suggested by Cliff which I think is quite important. Cliff comes upon this house on his new route, which seems to be a student area by the giggling students hiding behind the curtains, which Cliff thinks is a come on, essentially. He thinks they're interested in him. No, they're laughing at him. But as you said, it, do- it is brought by Cliff and Carla can't believe it when Cliff brings this. She thinks there must be some kind of catch. So when he uh, brings forward this sort of proposed house that might be really good for her, she's a little bit doubting on it because he's been quite wrong in the past. And she goes to have a look at it and it's like a dream house. Uh, She's really happy, but Norm has done some due diligence on the house and discovered that it's built over a prison graveyard. And not one of those nice prisons either. Not prisons for like accountants or something. Prisons for murderers and cutthroats that were executed. And they're worried about this because Carla has demonstrated her superstition already in the episode by... She went to check the house initially because they said that her horoscope told her she should. Uh, Yeah, check new avenues or something like this, yeah. So already we know she's superstitious and the idea that her house is built on a graveyard they think will make her not want to go through with it. At this point, she's already bought the house. Like they find out too late, she's just stuck with the house essentially. So now that she owns the house and they have to break this news to her, which uh, Cliff is incredibly scared about. There's quite a few instances in this episode where Cliff uh, sort of cowers. And this is one of them. Literally cowers. Yeah. <laughs> and they reveal it. And Carla seems at first generally okay with living above a haunted burial ground. She says, thank God, I thought you were going to say it has dry rot. And for the next, I'd say five 10 minutes of the episode, she seems a bit on edge, but the rest of the gang thinks, well, she's moved in. Maybe she's just nervous. There is one camera shot, the alternate angle of the bar down from the pool room corridor. 
which shows her walking away with genuine worry on her face immediately after she claims she's not worried. That's where you would have had the sort of EastEnders drums. But over, over this time period where they think she's moved in, Diane t- seems to rub it in quite a bit. You know, Carla, I really admire you. It took such courage to overlook the unhallowed ground on which your house is built. I know I would have had my last earthly moment of rest in that house the moment I moved in. Why, I could no more close my eyes in that cauldron of blood than sever my own arm. Hey, Diane. Oh, yes. Well, angels on your pillow. (laughs) You don't know whether that's because she's an intelligent woman, often prone to literary prose and yet you get the feeling that that's actually just a faux pas on her part i thought it was a bit weird that she just went on about it it's quite poetic at least mm. it's, it's a bit graphic she's been reading her edgar Allan poe <laughs> woody quite innocently asks oh how's the new house and that's when carla snaps a little bit it's a great house it's a wonderful house it's the best house in the world poor woody and she reveals i haven't moved in yet i've just been li- boxes <laughs> And then this is where the, the trope of every haunted house happens, where it's like, stay the night in a haunted house and you'll be all right kind of thing. And that's the plan. I was initially surprised. And again, this moves back to the early Cheers episodes being such a one location event that now they've upped the budget and we, we see um, views of Boston in the opening credits. They move to other locations. Obviously, they've been doing that for a while. But I was initially surprised that they even showed the house. I thought it was going to be all sort of returns to the bar and explaining what happened. In hindsight, I'm glad they did because it's a nice episode. But I was initially thinking that they would just, she would disappear, come back the next day, and then we'd hear about what happened. Yes, I am glad they did show the house because of what we saw develop in the house. And I think had a lot more impact Mm. that we actually saw as opposed to it being described and also filled up the airtime. So what happens then? She arrives in the house. She's all nervous like. And then Cliff and Norm rock up with pizza and beer just to be like, hey, Carla, look, we got these for you. And they're like, we're going to stick with you through the night. We're going to help you. And then Vera calls and Norm's like, well, bye. (laughs) And I secretly think he wanted to leave as well. He did. He was a nervous Norm. He found it a bit spooky. That house gave him the creeps. The heebie-jeebies? Definitely put him on edge. And as Carla pointed out, it's like, you're never in a rush to go home to Vera. But this time he was. But it did lead to the best gag of the episode, which is Norm leaving with his beer. He leaves it by the door and then opens the door and his hand comes through and picks up the beer. To which Cliff replies, Norm, you can't have that, you're driving. The door opens again, beer comes back in. And then door opens again and the beer gets swapped for his car keys. <laughs> I do think that's, that's probably one of the best Norm moments to date, really. Very good sight gag, isn't it? Very simple, very effective. I think, uh, does Norm get sarcastically compared to Indiana Jones as well? I feel like Carla does that in a side gag. I didn't notice that one. Well, I like to think of him running down the avenues being chased by a boulder. Ah, I was thinking that you were thinking that he rolled his keys in place <laughs> of the beer. The door was closing down and he had to choose his hat, his keys or a beer. Before we go into the final act, let's talk about the cast. No guest cast really, but we've got a couple of uncredited appearances. Al Rosen, uncredited as Al, John's favourite character. Got to love Al. And Sally Stevens, uncredited as on-camera singer. She's been a singer on film and TV since 1962 in How the West Was Won. Since then, she has also sung for The Sound of Music, M.A.S.H., Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, Columbo, Grease, Apocalypse Now, The Muppet Movie, 
Airplane, Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, Alf, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Buffy, Jurassic Park, Diagnosis Murder, Galaxy Quest, Shootrama, and many others. She is also a main title singer for The Simpsons and Family Guy. We do get some nice songs on this. We have Blue on Blue by Bobby Vinton playing on the radio. And before that song came on is a song which you'd hear Sally Stevens' voice featuring in. Some excellent facts there, James. Before we dive like back into the uh, main episode, I'm going to ask, have you guys seen the sitcom Ghosts on BBC? Bits of it. I've seen clips. The premise is a sitcom where... Uh, a couple have just inherited a house. They move in and something happens and one of them can now see all the ghosts that have been in the house or died in the house through the ages. Ooh. And there's like a, there's a caveman ghost. There's like a Renaissance ghost. There's a World War II ghost. But this, this episode uh, reminds me a little bit of it because, you know, old house ghosts. So if you're looking for a, a sitcom about ghosts that's uh, new and fresh, if you're looking for something to binge, I recommend Ghosts on BBC. It's a nice take on a sort of classic setup. But now we, we go back into the haunted house that we're talking about today, which is Carla's haunted house. Her and Cliff are now left alone in the dark. And James mentioned some lovely music, which was featured in this episode. Sets the scene, doesn't it? Went to a lot of dances in high school. You were a dancer? No, no, I was on the uh, decorating committee. I still had crepe paper stains on my fingers. <laughs> yeah, I remember you know, watching all those kids out there having one hell of a time. And I thought, boy, I'd love to be out there with them, but I could never find a partner to practice with. Fascinating. It's a heartwarming scene. Cliff's quite sad tale about always wanting to dance but having no one to dance with. Something I heard during this scene was in the past you kind of, uh, Cliff always wrecks a scene and I was kind of waiting for him to wreck it and he didn't wreck it too much really. He always kind of puts his foot in it and sort of wrecks a moment either out of anxiousness or nervousness but they, they play it quite nicely and for two characters who have had a lot of hostility in the past, quite nice to see them just uh, chilling. It definitely built their relationship where Carla became more vulnerable because she basically went, I don't need you, Cliff. I can handle this haunted house by myself. And when Cliff went, all right, then bye. And she went, no, Cliff, come back, please. So it was nice to see that vulnerability. Something which I like as well is that it didn't go past friendship as well, which I think would have been a, a weird line to cross really at this point. That would have been that she was going, you see that shark? <laughs> I'm going to jump it. Full funds. They do do the usual ending of that scene, which is where they wake up together. But unlike a normal scene where they'd be tucked up in bed, you know, clothes everywhere. This one, she's literally just got her head on his knee. And for her, that's almost tantamount to something physical happening. But the curse has been broken because they've spent a night in the haunted house. Or so we think. And then the rumbling starts. <laughs> and we think it's the legions of hell coming to get them. Yes, but Cliff says... It's not the dead coming out of the grave to feast on human flesh. It's an L-1011 white body. <laughs> the, the sounds are very similar. And uh, it turns out she lives next to the airport. So, noise. But only when it's foggy weather. And they have to use the runway immediately next to her house as a diversion. And there's a nice bit which I, I think probably best to get the quote itself. Is uh, when she kind of lists... You mean that this house... My house? Is that the end of a runway? Uh -huh. And that was a wide-body jet landing ten feet from my backyard? Yeah. And this house is not cheap because it's haunted, but because it is right next to the airport? Yeah. I'm home! Yeah! 
and almost does like a, a jump into the air freeze frame moment. And that's how we end the episode. And you know what it reminds me of? I think it's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Is it Chitty Chitty Bang Bang where when there's earthquakes or something, all the things in the house shake? That well-known Ian Fleming book. Yes. <laughs> I was just about to steal that thunder from John as well. Did you know the guy who wrote James Bond also wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? This was something we were talking about before we recorded. And you've just looped it into the end just to try and like have one up on the fact which you didn't know. A snack on those stolen facts. Yeah. Stolen facts are the snackiest. I've been done dirty here. This is thieving my facts. Uh, question. It's a foodie question. Right from the start, Norm asks for sandwiches because Woody's offering two choices of sandwiches. But what does Norm request? Is it a bologna sandwich? Uh, you're guessing bologna. What about you, Barry? I can't remember. The choices Woody offers are PB&J sandwich or bologna sandwich, and Norm says both. Good choice. One for main, one for dessert. <laughs> and whilst we're on the topic of food, I've got another Norm-related food question. How does Norm make sure that he'll get the most pizza? He gets a pizza with anchovies, and he knows the other two don't like anchovies. What's your stance on anchovies, guys? I used to hate them, and now I'm a bit of a fan. I think it's they're, they're such an intense flavour on their own. But like olives and beer and various other adult foods, I've grown into them. feel much the same. If I ever have to have pizza with people who I don't want to share pizza with, I'd have anchovies, olives, <laughs> just all the foods which I know are strong flavours because I can handle it and they can't. <laughs> will you enjoy it? Or would that just be a pizza of spite? I enjoy fully pizzas of spite. <laughs> How does Diane describe Tiffany? Sam's date. How does Diane describe her? Oh, I, now I remember the last line. Breasts that could offer shade to a young boy, I think she says. Is that the line? Pretty close. Yeah. Any expansion on that, John? Does she say wearing spandex? And spends all her time in the gym. I think two points to Barry, one point to John. Spandex wardrobe spends all of her time in a gym. Breasts that would provide shade for a small boy. Well, yeah, I've already touched on this, so this may be just a memory test. But the plane that flies over the house, what was the name of it? L-1011 Widebody? Yeah, and do you know the actual name of the plane? Because a widebody is a type of plane. There's uh, three or four planes that fall into that category. A jumbo jet. A jumbo jet is a widebody, I think. See? Passenger plane. No, in this case, it's got a specific name, the L-1011. Phoenix Hawk. That's it, John. <laughs> How did you know that? <laughs> was it Phoenix Hawk? It is the Lockheed L-1011 TriStar. Carla runs through some of the things that are in the house that she's looking to buy. And what makes it so perfect? What are some of the features of the house? One of them is that she can sleep in a separate room to her children. There's a room for all of them. It's uh, got formica and a fireplace. Yeah. Kitchen grass. Which she said she can lie naked on. Yeah, you've got it all. She's, she describes it as the American dream. Speaking of the house, what are the first objects Carla takes into the house? She has a crucifix. That was the only one I could remember as well. Quite sort of exorcist, wasn't it? Or Van Helsing. Van Helsing. I thought you were going to say Van Halen. <laughs> well, it did make us jump a little. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it was radio, beer and a crucifix. The Holy Trinity? Is the Holy Trinity of uh, housewarming gifts. My final question. Have you ever seen a ghost? Not that I know of. Barry doesn't believe in Loch Ness, but he might believe in ghosts. I think Barry believes in, in Loch Ness, just not the monster. <laughs> I haven't, but I think my dad's dog has. <laughs> I must admit, I find the whole idea a little silly. If I 
haven't seen one, it's just easier to assume that they don't exist because they would have told me if I had. They would have told them if you had. <laughs> yeah, like if I if I had seen a ghost, then a ghost would have been like, "Hello, I'm a ghost," because that's just polite. Well, the the sixth sense would have ended a lot earlier. <laughs> That's the last call at the bar and definitely has been quite an episode, James. With also no resolution for the Sam Diane date issue at the start. Good. <laughs> Wasn't invested in it anyway. <laughs> it's getting a little boring. On that note, what's the house special? Wealth of Halloween themed drinks to choose from. I think John's alluded to it. Spiteful pizza. <laughs> Play a bit of Bobby Vinton. Bobby V. Sounds like a wonderful evening. I'll bring the pizza. And then we won't be able to eat it because it would be full of spite. As we raise our slices and our and our cans of beer, what are we toasting? New homes. Yeah, I like that. To, to new homes, new friendships. I'd say throw, throw that in the mix. And uh, and nobody puts Cliff in the corner. <laughs> and uh, also, ghosts are definitely real. Thank you for listening to where nobody knows your name. Cheers, podcast. Mm-hmm.